Sunday, September 24th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Ahead of this week's second Republican presidential debate, we have the latest Fox News power rankings. They highlight the former president's dominance, as well as why the names in second and third places may reinforce a theme for GOP voters. What you're going to hear a lot in early January is come out with a medal. Meaning you got to get first, second, or third. You got to get gold, silver, or bronze. And this week, Ukraine's president visited the United States, and his reception was noticeably different compared to last year's. As our lawmakers fight over our own budget, there's resistance to providing more money to Ukraine. What we're looking at today are very difficult conversations that are taking place. It's about budget, it's about weapons, and it's about what the plan looks like for Ukraine moving forward. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The latest Fox News power rankings show President Trump in the number one slot, far ahead of any competitor. There was some movement for other candidates. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott lost two points, while former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy gained a point each. But if you combine Trump, Ramaswamy and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the populists, as the rankings refer to them, have over 80 percent of Republican primary voter support. But then you have the more traditional Republican candidates like a Haley, a Scott, Mike Pence uh, in that field as well. And look, the populists are winning. And that is the divide in the Republican Party right now, both in the presidential primary and also what's going on on Capitol Hill. That was Fox News Radio's political analyst Josh Kraushauer on America's Newsroom this past week. But the populists may not agree on everything, including on some more critical issues like abortion. Last Sunday, former President Trump told Meet the Press he would negotiate with all stakeholders on when abortion should be allowed. And he was asked if he would sign a federal abortion ban. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis w- is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think too what far? he did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. At the first presidential debate, Nikki Haley said it would be dishonest to tell the American people a federal abortion ban could even pass. It would need 60 Senate votes. This past week, she told evangelical voters at an Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition banquet. Whatever we can get 60 Senate votes on, isn't that better than what we have now? And if it's if it's six weeks, that's great. If it's 15 weeks, that's great. While the power rankings gave Haley a boost, she's not considered a populist, largely due to her foreign policy position. The rankings explain populism here, describes candidates who don't think Americans should be overly involved in other countries' affairs or spend large amounts of money on other governments. And they distrust institutions like the IRS, CDC and FBI. I I think it's a changing party. And I think that was pretty much uh, indicated during the election of 2016. Bill Hammer is co-anchor of America's Newsroom. I think Trump's strategy was to appeal to a broader base of people who felt like Washington ignored them. And, and you, you, th- you think about what's happening here. Just to remind our listeners, NAFTA in the 90s was a game changer for a lot of towns in the Midwest. Uh, th- that treaty between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., 
made it possible for you as a business owner to take your company and move it south of the border. And then you could take that exact same product that you're making in the U.S. and sell it back to the same customers that were um, using your product uh, here at home. Uh, and I, I think it was sold to a lot of people in a very different way, but it turned out differently for a lot of people who were reliant on, say, small factories in these Midwest towns. Mm-hmm. Well, the factories left, and the people were left without a job. And for the next two decades, those towns pretty much collapsed. And it was Trump who came in and really gave those people time and attention, and that's why they got behind him. I think that's the that's the obvious indicator to me as to why this populist movement is now here. Yeah, populism being defined here as for our power rankings purposes as distrust of institutions, desire to spend less money on foreign intervention and other government's issues. That would include Ukraine. Bill, is it populist to call um, six-week abortion bans at the state level terrible and a terrible mistake, as, as, the, as former President Trump recently said? Um, in an interview? Yeah, two things on this. Uh, the first part of your question, I, I was listening to Brett's interview with MBS last night. Uh, great interview, a lot of different topics and a lot of news came out of it. And you know what he seemed to say? He seemed to say Saudi Arabia first in just about every answer. <laughs> I, I, he's really like emphasizing the economics of Saudi Arabia. And I, I just thought that was a point to be noted because I'm, that, that was Trump's campaign, right? America sure. first. Uh, with regard to the comment about abortion, I, I think this is going to be something that will be significant in the early state of Iowa. It's going to get a lot of attention um, because Iowa's laws are very similar to Florida. And Ron DeSantis, is, he'll have an opening there. Yeah. He'll have an opportunity to talk about that for the next several months. What I think Trump's strategy was, if I read between the lines, and this is just my interpretation of it, if you listen to what Nikki Haley was saying in that first Fox News debate, she was trying to give the party direction on how they should handle their message on abortion. And Ronna McDaniel, head of the RNC, has been doing this as well. And I I think what Trump was saying, he was sort of speaking to suburban women who turned on him in 2020 Mm. and giving them a reason to reconsider him in 2024. And I I think that was a big part of his strategy. Yeah, he said on his own social media platform, um, we need to learn, Republicans uh, need to learn how to talk about abortion if they want to win in 2024 that and he wrote it cost us dearly during last year's midterm so it i, I think he's he's get, you know he's providing that as his explanation yeah, for why yeah. he's going but i like your suburban women yeah, I, I <laughs> analysis just, more yeah that, that, that's what i'm thinking right now two things i would keep on your radar in early november ohio which has been a trump state by eight points in 2016 and eight points in 2020 they're going to have a referendum on abortion uh with regard to the uh, state constitution there so j- oh, just right. just keep an eye on that and see how ohio goes uh, and with regard to the other candidates you're going to hear more and more about the messaging and in all likelihood it could come up again at the fox business debate okay bill in the power rankings it said this is the the first ones that came out wednesday 59 percent of potential republican primary voters say it is more important to keep social security and medicare benefits as they are than reduce the budget deficit that seems of note as we hear from some of the you know the budget deficit hawks in the gop over you know, what we're talking about right now with the shutdown, budget yeah. appropriations, spending less money, this populist idea of keep my Social Security and Medicare the same, don't touch that, 
is is there um are these two things on a crash course or can they coexist yeah i think we've gone round and round on this for decades now hmm. it seems and i think republicans and i i think about like paul ryan and when he was speaker of the house and i mean they, they made a go at this and they didn't get far but uh, it's different now right bill because we're going insolvent is, is it different um I guess I would ask, what's the difference between 15 trillion and 31 trillion? It's still <laughs> trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And when you look at the federal budget, 60% of that budget is it, it's locked in by law. And it's, it goes to those programs that you mentioned, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and they don't want to lose that. Look, if you're a, you a middle-class worker in America, you started paying into Social Security at the age of 16 or 18, wouldn't you want that money? I, I think 99% of them would say yes. So we've got, a, we've got the next debate coming up. DeSantis and um, Vivek Ramaswamy, the populist, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, classified by our, by our power rankings as conservatives. They, they all made the stage. Obviously, we know Trump isn't coming, right? That's still, yep. that's still status quo. <laughs> for now. But then the, I wish he changed his mind. <laughs> I know. It'd be, it, it would add yeah. to it for sure. But then the power rankings call former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie the wild card, which is always obviously exciting. I think, um, I think your sports brain might light up at that. Mm-hmm. But the, that in that... The power rankings note that 25% of GOP primary voters won't support Trump. But this, just because Christie has somebody like Governor Christie has a lane, that that's not a full highway, right? I mean, do you need? Is there any path for Christie? Yeah, or, yeah. I, yeah, as a wild card, so, or or for any of these conservatives, and we'll, I guess we'll get to Nikki Haley in a second. Yeah, um, here's what I found in our Fox Business poll among Republicans in Iowa as caucus goers. Which percentage of you would never support the following for the nomination? Chris Christie was in first place at 52%. <laughs> Look, he's made his campaign all about Donald Trump. I don't know how successful he will be. Our polling still has him around 2 or 3% in the end. Okay. And about Nikki Haley, um, you know, she, she made the most movement in that Fox Business poll in Iowa, um, still obviously far behind Trump and just behind DeSantis. But her movement up sort of dovetails with that CNN poll that found President Biden is really tied in hypothetical matchups, except when it comes to Nikki Haley. She's up over him by six points. Yeah, really. She's she's doing the grind. Right. But but does she need a moment? Yes. Uh, Sorry to interrupt you, Jessica. Um, I thought she kind of had a moment at that Fox debate in Milwaukee. Yeah. And I, I think she probably had a few moments, actually. And in our polling, we see that she she bumped up six points. Uh, people will, are, are taking another look at her um, or even a first look at her. And they will again um, from Simi Valley at the Reagan Library when Dana and Stuart Ilya hosts uh, the, the debate out there next Wednesday. Um, she She's gotten attention. I thought she was very aggressive, probably more aggressive than people like Vivek expected. Mm-hmm. Um, when the two of them, however, were standing right next to each other, it was almost an invitation to go after one another. So let, let, let's see how she does this time. Uh, look, she's working really hard, I can tell you that. And she knows that... In order for her to have more success, it's going to be a grind, and you're going to get you're going to have to get through the fall months, and then you set yourself up for mid-January in Iowa to to make a bigger splash on that caucus. Now, you mentioned Trump on the debate. No, he will not be there next Wednesday. Unfortunately, there's some rumors that he might show up in Miami for the third one later, like late October, early November. Uh, he has chosen, however, based on what he said thus far, is that next Wednesday he will be with the union workers 
walking the line in Detroit. So we'll see how that goes. And that, that kind of goes back to your initial question, Jessica, about the populist message in the Republican Party. Finally, Bill, with a candidate like Trump being ahead in in every poll by as much as he's ahead, you know, you see this discussion about maybe maybe it really is a foregone conclusion, you know, that, that he's the nominee. But... He has four legal cases to wrangle through. Two of those are state cases. How important is it to continue to pay attention to what the other candidates who are not Trump, what they say and do? They they could be called up, right? Uh, Yogi Berra said it's not over till it's over, right? (laughs) Uh, And Carl Rove writes in the Wall Street Journal, he goes back in time to a a Democratic race in Iowa. And the front runner, Walter Mondale, was way ahead. And Gary Hart was pulling around 2 or 3%. And he came out of nowhere and finished in double digits. And everybody said, well, look at him. And so he got all the attention, rolled into New Hampshire, and won that primary. And it was somewhat similar, too, with Bill Clinton. Um, They called him the comeback kid after the Iowa caucus. So think, you know, depending on how you characterize first, second, and third place in Iowa, you, you can you can build a fair amount of momentum out of that. And I, I, I think with DeSantis and Haley and Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, that's kind of what they're banking on. And what you're going to hear a lot in early January is come out with a medal, meaning you got to get first, second, or third. You got to get gold, silver, or bronze. And if you do, you build your argument for New Hampshire, which comes after that, and Nevada and South Carolina consecutively. Bill Hemmer, thank you so much for joining. We love having you. You bet. It's, it's a great game to watch, and we'll see together how it turns out. Thank you, Jessica. This week, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, came to the U.S. He addressed the United Nations General Assembly in New York, and while he pressed the world to support his country's cause, he had to press Republicans in Washington, D.C. later in the week for financial help. Ahead of his meeting with GOP lawmakers, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was asked if he would commit to a new large aid package for Ukraine. Is Zelensky elected to Congress? Is he our president? I don't think I have to commit anything. I have questions for him. While a group of House and Senate Republicans led by Ohio Senator J.D. Vance made their opposition to additional aid clear in a letter, the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, Michael McCall, didn't sound that worried for Ukraine. They, they need it, um, and they're going to get it. I, I, I said, you know, the majority of the majority support this. I know there's some dissension on both sides, but I said a war of attrition is not going to win this. And that's what Putin wants. Now, Speaker McCarthy said he wanted accountability from Zelensky. And after meeting him, told reporters that it was really on President Biden to explain where more money would go in Ukraine and how it would be tracked. He hasn't made the case to the American public. What is victory? What does it take to be able to win? But I believe when we're looking at where we're going right now, Zelensky has answered a lot of questions. McCarthy also said Zelensky had made some changes when asked about concerns regarding corruption. Still, reaction to Zelensky's visit was a marked change from a year ago when he got a two-minute standing ovation after addressing a joint meeting of Congress. And while he was here, the president of Poland criticized Ukrainian leaders. They've stopped providing Ukraine weapons as the country's fight over grain. Now, President Biden did announce a new $325 million aid package for Ukraine, which includes... Thank you so much. And it has exactly what our soldiers need. President Zelensky called that a powerful package. More artillery, more ammunition, more anti-tank weapons. And next week, the first U.S. Abrams tanks will be delivered to Ukraine. We also focused on strengthening Ukraine's air defense capabilities. 
But Zelensky told U.S. lawmakers he needs more help, more money. As our lawmakers fight over our own budget, some Republicans resist additional spending. Yeah, the timing of this visit is significant for Ukraine, but it's significant for the rest of the world, too. Fox News correspondent Trey Yinks has reported from Ukraine multiple times during the war. Because it doesn't just come amid continued Russian attacks on Ukraine. It comes toward the end of a Ukrainian counteroffensive that was widely promoted as the chance this year for Ukraine to recapture significant territory. Mm. And when you look at the map, they just haven't been able to recapture what they had hoped. They've taken some territory in the southern Zaporizhia region, in Luhansk and Donetsk, these eastern regions in the Donbas. They've recaptured right. villages and towns, but the efforts that they're making have pointed to a war of attrition, a war that's going to take years to complete if it ever fully gives Ukraine the opportunity to recapture all of their territory. And it will cost not only thousands of more lives, but also billions of more dollars. And that's mm -hmm. part of this question that lawmakers have in Washington and part of the tension that we're seeing unfold right now in the nation's capital. Secretary Blinken said this past week that like 50 percent of the territory that Russia had taken from Ukraine had been recaptured by Ukraine. Is that an overestimation or is that is that pretty accurate? It's accurate. And when you look at the map, the Ukrainians were very successful in pushing back the Russians from their initial invasion that included troops from Russia and neighboring Belarus that attacked Ukraine from the north. You might remember right. in the early days of this conflict, the Russians aimed to capture the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv. We were there. We saw the fighting take place in front of our eyes, the artillery battles, the ground war that the Russians waged against Ukraine in the north. The Ukrainians were able to push back that initial advance. They also were quite successful in their first counteroffensive in Ukraine's Kharkiv region. Kharkiv is the second largest city in Ukraine, and it's a region where the Russians had taken significant territory, and Ukraine was able to push them back in a very rapid counteroffensive. The issue now is that other 50%. It's land yeah. that the Russians have had significant time to dig in defenses, not just traditional defenses like trenches, but also things like dragon's teeth, these concrete barriers that are used to stop tanks from advancing. They've also been able to set up landmines. And so it's creating an environment for the Ukrainians that even if they have the majority of the Western support that they're asking for, they are facing treacherous conditions where they are losing thousands of their own fighters. And so while the requests continue to come in, the questions also continue to be raised of what does this war look like in the coming 6, 12, 18 months, and what is Ukraine's strategy to win? Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. But, you know, talk to me about the appearance of this visit. It looked different, right? There was no speech before joint meeting of Congress. Speaker McCarthy said, you know, we just don't have time for that. Our own Chad Pergram pointed out the room in which House Republicans um, met with Zelensky is usually like a casual coffee and donuts type setting to meet like constituents and other kinds of people. And then between New York and D.C., between the U.N. General Assembly meeting and going to D.C., Polish officials, the president of Poland, sounded like they were distancing themselves from Ukraine. I think the president likened Ukraine to a, a dangerous drowning individual who can pull its rescuer down. I mean, Poland's been like a main supporter. What what do you make of, of all of, of these optics and these words? 
Yeah, on the issue of Poland, there was something having to do with grain and the Ukrainians wanting to have access to the Polish stockpile. And, and basically, the Polish government and president said, look, we are not willing to risk our supplies for helping Ukraine. And, and that has been a theme from the beginning and a conversation that we've heard from Western officials, European officials, everyone in between about what does support look like? How much of the American military budget, how much of the European military budget can be earmarked for Ukraine and it not affect the broader stability or efforts of NATO? And you can look at a lot of different topics when you're talking about that. You could look at things like artillery supplies and the shells that need to be produced. Ukraine is burning through artillery shells as they're yeah. in these battles in much more rural parts of Ukraine, wide open fields where they're fighting the Russians. And while the U.S. stockpile has gone down quite a bit and the production of artillery shells has ramped up, it again has raised these questions of how many shells can the United States spare? And so I think the attitude in Washington is shifting. And I'm not here to tell you why. Um, we <laughs> could speculate. We, we could look at the the reality that next year is 2024 and there are... Well, and to that point, Poland has, a, has an election too, yeah. right? And, and their uh, more conservative party is, is questioning, like you just said, that these grain deals to undercut that could undercut their own grain prices and their own farming practices, right? So this is all... The political hang-ups are very real. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you really parse it out, like there's a reality on the ground that politics plays into all of this. It doesn't just play into funding for Ukraine, but funding for domestic issues and foreign policy issues that have to do with how the United States supports its allies around the world. And so you see it on the faces of lawmakers in Washington today. The pomp and circumstance for a President Zelensky visit has really disappeared. Right. And the reality is there are just multiple issues at play here, right? Ukraine is a sovereign country and the Russians have illegally under international law invaded that country and taken territory from a sovereign European country. That is a standard that the United States and its NATO allies don't want to set. They don't want this precedent and this reality to be okay for Russia because then could they continue into NATO territory? It's certainly possible and it's of concern to the defense echelon. and certainly a talking point for the Ukrainians when they say, look, we are the first line of defense for the rest of Europe. But when it comes to lawmakers in Washington, as we've talked about, they are going to be listening to their constituents. They're going to be testing the water and seeing what is popular among their voter base. And unfortunately, what takes place when it comes to funding other countries and their military efforts, even if they are objectively uh, focused from a humanitarian angle and from a sovereign angle, it comes down to politics. And I think that's what we're seeing play out in Washington today. You saw the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, not agree to have Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speak and before Congress and, and make a joint address. Right. You are not seeing the red carpet rolled out at the White House. What we're looking at today are very difficult conversations that are taking place. It's about budget, it's about weapons, and it's about what the plan looks like for Ukraine moving forward. Well, Trey, you know, to that point, the, the Republicans who insist that our debt means we, we cannot afford to give Ukraine any more weapons or money, you know, some of them also question Ukraine on the grounds of, of corruption in Ukraine. Um, as, as we know, he, Zelensky replaced his defense minister, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, and then dismissed like half a dozen defense deputies. 
I, I guess that was over concerns about the appearance of corruption. But then there's been these other lingering questions, right, about like Zelensky signed this law that imposed new regulations on media organizations and this ban on certain religious organizations. But he said that that was because those religious organizations had ties to Russia. Uh, so there is enough of a faction, it sounds like, among Republicans who are saying, who have questions ab about this. Yeah, and some of these questions were raised at the beginning of the invasion. And there have been significant steps by the Ukrainians to address issues of corruption. As you mentioned, Alexei Reznikov, the former defense minister of Ukraine, was replaced with Rustam Omarov in a pretty big shakeup when it comes to the Ministry of Defense in Kyiv. Those six deputy defense ministers were dismissed from their positions. And it appears like President Zelensky is trying to send a message to Western allies that corruption will not be tolerated. It's something that I asked President Zelensky about earlier this year during our sit-down interview. He was taking pretty significant steps to address issues of corruption. And we didn't just hear it from the Ukrainian leader, but we heard it from even commanders on the ground. When we raised these issues of, look, the American taxpayer wants to know where their dollars are going. They right. want to ensure that there's a way to track these weapons, that they're not going to be sold on the black market. And we were assured not only by President Zelensky, but also Defense Minister Reznikov at the time and others in the National Guard and in the security echelon in Kyiv that there was a system in place. Our reporting hasn't gone against that. I have no evidence personally to say that that's not the case, but these are certainly questions that lawmakers are going to have. And when you step back and you look at this conflict, I think it's 575 days in, the fact on the ground is that there is a honeymoon period sure. in all of this, right? At the beginning, there is a very clear understanding between good and bad. There is a sovereign country that was invaded by its neighboring country, Russia, and there is some level of what, for example, the United States stands for. And those aren't my words. Those are words that we heard from these very Republican lawmakers that are asking these questions. In the early days of the war, I was receiving text messages and calls from Republican and Democrat lawmakers, oftentimes just to what appeared to be like check-ins. They wanted to know what the situation was on the ground. And I always tell them, like, turn on Fox. Like, I'm not here to, to report anything back to you. And some of them were actually just kind, saying, hey, I saw your report on Fox. Like, be safe. And right. I thought that was nice. But the reality was everyone was interested. Everyone wanted to have a statement out there. They wanted, I found... A connection. They wanted a connection. A connection. Exactly. Yeah. They wanted a connection to what was happening on the ground. And they wanted someone like myself to be able to go on air to say, I spoke with this lawmaker, and here's where they stand on supporting Ukraine. Mm. And the, that's what happens often it, during these large conflicts. But what has taken place now is, is that this is dragging on for a very long time, as many thought it would. If you look back in history, even recent history, the Ukrainians have been fighting Russian-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region where sure. fighting is taking place right now since 2014. Uh, and so that's such forward, a good point, Trey. That's such a good point and such an important point that this has been fighting has been on and off since 2014. Yeah. And it has changed form. It, it has certainly expanded. But there were artillery battles in the years previous. There will, in the days to come, 
it's hard to distinguish. I guess what I'm trying to say here is it's hard to distinguish the difference in certain parts of Ukraine because the Donbass region has faced war since 2014. The conflict now, though, is entering a dangerous territory for the Ukrainians because we don't want to say international support is wavering, but it is certainly facing scrutiny. And it's a scrutiny that is playing out not just in Washington, but in significant meetings. Now, on the flip side, we should note the commitments from the United States are still being fulfilled. This week, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in Germany with his counterparts and those Abrams battle tanks, those American-made tanks that did not come from the U.S. stockpile, but rather were produced specifically for Ukraine. Those are going to be delivered soon, according to the Defense Secretary. Mm. So they're still fulfilling those promises and the weapons, but it's not as clear-cut as it was when these packages started to be put together and delivered to Ukraine, and the Ukrainians aren't getting everything that they've asked for. That's my final for you, Trey, is we keep hearing, well, the you know, the Biden administration needs to give the Ukrainians what they need to decisively win here, and it keeps, you know, we, we went from, we're only giving, you know, defensive weaponry, not offensive weaponry, and then that changed, and now we're talking about, like, F-16s. Like, does it just need to be like all out? You know, do, do they need that level of air support, air defense, air offense in order for this to and after that, you can properly gauge or assess, OK, we've we've done all we can. It's a great question. And it's a question I think that the Biden administration struggles with. How do you deliver this aid and what does the timetable look like to do so? And there is legitimate criticism against the administration and against Ukraine's Western allies about the trickle of aid in the early months of the war. At first, they weren't going to give battle tanks, for example, and then they gave battle tanks. They weren't going to give fighter jets. Now they're giving certain kinds of fighter jets. Those have been signed off to be transferred to Ukraine. Um, The needle constantly moves, and there, there is something to be said about how the aid was delivered early on and how it sort of trickled into Ukraine. That's a whole different conversation. But there is this calculation to the administration's credit that has to be made about how will the Russians respond every time more weapons are delivered to Ukraine. Even these 31 battle tanks that we're talking about at the time back in January of this year, when those tanks were promised to Ukraine, the Russians said that if they were indeed delivered, this would be an escalation by the United States. So that's something they have to take into consideration. Something else that has to be considered in all of this is how the Ukrainians are striking Russian-held territory and Russian territory. Are the Americans okay with Ukraine hitting Russian-occupied Crimea? That's a, Mm. a question for the Biden administration. How willing is the United States and its Western allies to have Ukraine hit Russian territory with American-supplied and NATO-supplied weapons, because that's the big question with the Atakums, these long-range missiles that have a range of 190 miles. The Ukrainians have routinely, over the past several months, used drones and other weaponry to hit Russian territory. We've seen the images of things on fire in Moscow, holes in the sides of buildings in the Russian capital, and those are images that are of concern to the United States and to the rest of the world because Vladimir Putin is unpredictable. He has shown the world he is willing to violate international law. He has shown the world he is willing to let his soldiers commit war crimes. And so this is a man who is unpredictable. 
In many cases, according to analysts, he's unstable. And he has a nuclear arsenal. Yeah. And so these are all things that have to be considered. And so amid the backdrop of these conversations about budget and how long the United States is willing to support Ukraine, there is also this escalation ladder that has to be considered. Fox News correspondent Trey Yinks, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we're keeping an eye on Congress as House Republicans fight each other over the budget. And we'll bring you the second Republican presidential debate on Fox Business. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.